Hey everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson. You're with me on I Don't Care with, yeah, me, Kevin Stevenson here on Market Scale Radio. Uh, still really excited about the I Don't Care studios here in high above downtown Dallas at Market Scale. This is great. It's a game changer. You're going to be seeing me doing some of my uh, video casts here on a fairly regular basis because I know you guys get tired of looking at my office on air. You know, it's it's fun. It's cozy for me, but it probably gets boring for you. So, the you know, we've got a lot of stuff going on back here. I'm going to talk them into having some nice golf landscapes for me. Uh, I think that'll make you a lot happier. But anyway, enough about me, enough about the set. Let's talk about our guest today. Our guest today is Dr. Dean Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is a board certified uh, allergist specializing in food allergy. And Dr. Mitchell, we're really excited to have you on. Thanks for uh, joining me on I Don't Care. Thank you, Kevin. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about you, you know, kind of the journey into, you know, allergy as a whole, but specifically into food allergy. What really drew you to that? Well, I've been in practice 30 years. And I did my training mostly here in New York at Columbia uh, in internal medicine and then allergy immunology. I actually trained a lot during the AIDS epidemic, which was a pretty dramatic time. But then when I went into private practice, uh, I really liked uh, the field of allergy. Uh, it, it appealed to my family practice side. I probably would have been an old time family practitioner because I love taking care of families. Okay. And allergy was one of the few specialties, because I like specialties too, and the science behind it, but where I got to take care of children, adults, and that turned out to be a lot of times families. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, you know, a lot of, you know, fun and enjoyment for me, satisfaction. And over the years, uh, what I became known for, uh, I actually wrote a book called uh, Dr. Dean Mitchell's Reversing Allergy and Asthma. It was about my... Uh, coming upon sublingual allergy drops to treat environmental allergies, you know, mm -hmm. people allergic to cats and dogs or to pollen, instead of getting the classic allergy injections. So I've done that for over 20, 25 years and helped thousands of patients, you know, around the country with that. And now I'm teaching doctors around the country to, to do it in their local communities. But the last couple of years, uh, I've always said the holy grail of allergy is treating this food allergy epidemic. I mean, these every week I, I'm seeing and hearing stories of kids having dangerous reactions to foods. This epidemic is not slowing down and that, there's a lot of reasons for that we can get into. So I finally decided after looking at the research done by some great places around the country at Stanford and at Duke and now North Carolina, that it was time to do the sublingual allergy drops for foods. So these kids that have dangerous food reactions to peanut, or it could be a tree nut, you know, or shrimp, that yeah. we can treat them now very safely and hopefully desensitize them enough so they don't have to worry that they're going to end up in a hospital if they have accidental ingestion of one yeah. of those. Hey, Dr. Mitchell, okay, I'm, I'm a relatively old guy now. Yeah, and I remember some, you know, whenever I was younger in school, you know, you heard about some people, oh, I, you know, I have an allergy or whatever, but you didn't hear about people dying. Was it just they died and we just didn't know? Or ha have food allergies just progressed over the years because of what we're eating? Yeah, uh, th that's a really good question. You know, I find the same thing, too. You know, when I was growing up in the 70s, I'll date myself. Me too. I didn't know one, ki <laughs> I didn't know one kid in my class that had a food allergy. Yeah. They were keeping it secret. 
now it seems like 20, 25% of uh, my sons, when they were younger, their kid, you know, you know, they went to school, you know, 10, 15 years ago in high school, you know, like 10, 20% of the class had significant food allergies, kids right. carrying around EpiPens. Yeah. So I believe that, you know, one of the major causes of this uh, food allergy epidemic was unfortunately the overuse of antibiotics. It really? changed okay. the microbiome. That, that's where the holistic part of my medicine comes in. It mm-hmm. changed the microbiome in the mothers, in the kids when they were very young. And I think that's, to me, the most likely reason for the epidemic of uh, food allergies. And I'll just tell you quickly, Kevin, there's, mm-hmm. there's one interesting case I'm treating now, a young boy with peanut allergy who's doing very well now on the drops. But, you know, his mother felt so bad. I mean, she has two other children that uh, are not allergic at all. And so when I was taking the history on her, it turned out during her pregnancy with her son, she had a urinary infection and had to go on antibiotics. So I I just always seem to find that antibiotics is one of the X factors in this. That is just fascinating. I would not have thought of that. Yeah. You know, you talk about peanut allergies and it's amazing the severity levels. You know, I've seen some people that, you know, just maybe break out in hives. And and unfortunately, some people have died. We we had a a girl that uh, my daughters grew up with who had such a severe peanut allergy. We were on a, a church trip one time. And of course, all the kids on the on the trip were very, you know, gracious about, you know, not bringing peanut butter and all that because, you know, they, they wanted to take care of their friend. Well, it was so bad that some of the kids, uh, we stopped at, at some location. We were going back to our hotel. Some of the kids had gone to a Chick-fil-A and you know where I'm going with this. They had peanut oil on their fingers. They touched the elevator button. This girl touched the elevator button afterwards and we had to go for the EpiPen and all of this. And uh, she graduated from high school, went off to college. But before she went to the college, they really had to vet a number of colleges to see how uh, how much they would work with them because she was that severe. And, and I, I asked her one day, I said, what are your plans for the future? I mean, because you're going to go down in the real world. And unfortunately, people aren't going to be as as nice as you know your peers are. She said, honestly, I'm probably moving to Europe because there's really no, you know, not a great number of, of peanuts used over there. They primarily use hazelnuts. And I said, you know, how interesting is that? And, and it was just fascinating because, again, that was one of the first kids that I'd ever dealt with that had that level of severity of a food allergy. And, and you know, Kevin, that's why I've really I've been a proponent of the drops in this treatment. And unfortunately, it's not really been widely known about this mm-hmm. treatment because the whole goal is not to have these kids eating peanut butter. Uh, a lot of them are, it, it nauseates them, mm-hmm. but we want to protect them so that they don't have these dangerous reactions. And then psychologically, they can have a more normal life instead of having to worry all the time or feel the anxiety or the peer pressure, you know, that they're different. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so tell me more about the drops. Yeah, you know, uh, how do how do those work? I mean, as you said, they're not as readily utilized. Uh, you know, I'm familiar with them, but yeah, because it's not really done by a pharmaceutical company. So it's, um, you know, essentially the the drops, which I also I do for environmental allergens, are made from the same extracts that we use to give allergy shots. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. Nothing dangerous. It's just actually safer because you're taking it orally versus an injection, which can sometimes cause problems. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so with the foods, what we do is, which is really nice, we pick out from the testing what they're allergic to and customize it for them. So if a child's allergic to peanut, they get peanut. Mm -hmm. If a child's allergic to peanut and walnut, we can mix both in the drops. And what we do is we start at very, very low doses, really almost minuscule doses, which is mm -hmm. really fascinating. And they take these drops at home on a regular basis and, and you know, safe to do so, we let them do that. And then every month in my protocol, it goes to a stronger dose. So I make the analogies like lifting weights. You know, we start mm -hmm. out with the one pound weights, the next month we go to two pounds and we get there. It's slow, but it's steady. And without, again, the severe reactions, um, so eventually we get to a very high level of drops that they're taking, which would probably be the equivalent of, let's say in peanuts, having a few peanuts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the studies have been showing that some of these kids, about 70, 80% of them are pretty desensitized and some of them can tolerate ranging from three to, you know, nine peanuts, which hmm. is pretty amazing. When yeah. some of them before, if they had one peanut, it was trouble. Yeah. So, so once you start taking the drops, do you have to take those the rest of your life? Or is this once you get to a desensitization level? Great question. You know, the studies are really still evolving now. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these things, it, it could be three or four years, but we're not sure it has to be for life. So I, okay. um, it really probably at this point will be on an individual level. And that gets to another story. There's a really good blood test that's becoming available called the basophil activation test or BAT. Mm -hmm for short, it sounds like Batman. You know, this is gonna be, I think, a really groundbreaking test to tell if a patient is tolerant to a food. So we may, for the first time in the next, you know, na you know very in the, in the near future, know whether or not a, a patient is desensitized and, you know, whether they need to continue therapy or not. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, okay, so I, I've, I, had, a, uh, I had a guest on a few weeks ago that we talked about genetic therapy and the you know doing doing that you know talk to me a little bit about that you know how how accurate is that uh, whenever somebody has their uh, their DNA tested you know for because one of the aspects of this and I'm actually going to be going through their testing just and it's selfishly going to be a show in about three months but uh, how accurate is DNA testing uh, regarding the propensity to have an allergy to say peanuts or shellfish or whatever. Yeah, I don't think that test, I'll, I'll tell you that that's interesting because it brings the intersection of two things about genetic testing. Mm -hmm. you know, there's this field now, what's called epigenetics. Okay. And so for your listeners, what does that really mean? Well, what's fascinating, again, I see in my own practice, you know, probably about my patients that have allergies, typically, uh, at least one of the parents has, has a history of allergies. So it's like a 30%, like I always tell the parents, if one parent has an allergy and the other one doesn't, their child still has about a 30% chance of having allergies. If both parents have allergies, there's about 60, 70%. So <laughs> genetics plays a role, but the other role, which is fascinating about immunology, which is my background in allergy, it's what you're exposed to. Mm. So uh, I'll throw out the funny example I give to patients. You know, I'm gonna test you here, Kevin. Mm -hmm. What do you think the number one allergy. Well, what do you think the number one allergy is in China? Um, rice. You got it. See, ah, you see my, look at that. See my playbook. And you know, rice is so rare an allergy here, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously wheat and, and proteins like mm -hmm. peanut and stuff like that too. Mm -hmm. So 
again, what I'm trying to make the point is that when we say epigenetics, it's a question of your genetics, but also about what are you exposed to? Sure. If you're not exposed to something very frequently, you won't probably develop the allergy because the other, my other mantra is you're usually never allergic to something the first time you're exposed to. That's mm -hmm. even with the food. That's what throws people off. They'll go, oh, I, I ate fish many times. And now all of a sudden they go into a restaurant, they have shellfish. They're having an allergic reaction because the body gets sensitized. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, okay. You've brought up something great because I was one of those kids. I was allergic to everything. You know, if it bloomed, I, I sneezed. But growing up here in Texas, live oaks were very prevalent. And so live oak set me off. Mold set me off. You know, all of that. But as you said, it can change because, you know, growing up and, and probably until I was about 40, latex never bothered me. And then I started noticing, okay, a, a physician or, or I would put on latex, latex gloves or a physician would be examining me and I'm... I start feeling a little bit tight, a little bit of tightness in my neck. Yeah. And so I said, you know, so now I've become one of those people. Do you have a latex allergy? Yeah, I, I've got to say, yeah. Yeah, you have to be careful with that one. That one also was a tricky one. Again, that wasn't discovered, I think, until the 70s. I mean, they didn't even know about it. Mm -hmm. Apparently, I mean, again, what I've read was that there was a change in the processing, the way they made the gloves, so it became more allergic, unfortunately. So a lot of, you know, it affected a lot of healthcare providers because, they're obviously wearing the gloves so often, but it is a particularly serious allergy because it sometimes can be very unsuspecting when patients, like when they would go to a dentist, you know, and mm -hmm. they're examined in their mouth, right? You go to a mucous membrane, or unfortunately, like a woman, a vaginal exam or a rectal exam, mm -hmm. those can really trigger very potent reactions. So yeah. it's good that you know about it because this way you you can warn your doctor, and most of them today are using latex-free gloves. It's right. sort of become the standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I don't know if it was I was around a lot of balloons growing up. I don't know. Anyway, but so let's talk a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really interested in the in the sublingual drops that you're doing. But what other holistic methods do you utilize to help people? You know, combat their food allergies or other allergies. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm glad we're expanding this a little bit. You know, my background is in immunology and also holistic or functional medicine. I've been doing it with my wife for, you know, over 25 years in mm -hmm. New York at Mitchell Medical Group. And one of the things that has really been striking to me over the years, and, and unfortunately, I feel like helping a lot of patients, is what I call microbiome disruption. So that sounds like a very complicated term, but basically what it really means is that because of, again, a lot of things in the environment where there's antibiotics, certain medication like acid blockers, um, steroids that people have taken. So a whole bunch of range of medications and also people's diet. If they ate foods that were very high in sugar or you know just poor quality food, it changes the balance of the good or bad bacteria in their gut. And this leads to a lot of problems. It hmm. leads to not only gastrointestinal issues where patients get bloating, constipation, I have patients that get rashes. They've seen dermatologists. They don't get better until I help them correct that. Uh, I see patients, I, another part of our practice, we deal a lot with chronic fatigue. This was before COVID. Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting how now I'm seeing some of the long COVID patients and we're treating them the same way with vitamin therapy, mm -hmm. uh, which we're trying to regenerate and you know boost their immunity. Interesting. Well, you, you've brought up something, you know, and, and I keep turning this back to me. I'm so sorry. You know, as, no, I'm sorry, wait, Kevin. 
you you will get a bill at the end of the uh, yeah, and I fully expect that. Okay, now, hopefully you're on my insurance. Uh, so, you know, I've noticed as I've gotten older, you know, I used to could eat anything. I mean, anything, love spicy food. Hey, I'm from Texas. I'm going to eat a lot of spicy food. Yeah, right. And now it's, you know, it's really affecting me a lot more. And and I'm having a lot more, I mean, this is TMI, I'm sure. I'm having a lot more gastrointestinal issues. So what types, you know, and you can send me a bill for this. What should I be doing differently to to help alleviate, you know, some of those things? Yeah, well, I what I tell patients is this, and I share this with said, look, if you, you know, a lot of us like to look at role models. You look at Tom Brady, mm-hmm. you look at certain athletes, you'd be amazed. Aside from all their physical conditioning, they are eating what we call so clean. Yeah. They're eating fresh fruits and vegetables. They're not eating these heavily sauced, unfortunately, sorry to make you upset, you know, a heavy salted type of foods and the way it's cooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this makes a huge difference because what I see with some of the athletes in my practice or actors and actresses, who are trying to maintain their weight and their vitality, they are as meticulous about their diet as they are about their training. Mm-hmm. And you know, my myself included, like like you, I over the years my diet has changed out of necessity. I mean, I don't like if I eat if I, back in the day when I was in college, if I ate spaghetti and meatballs, that was fine. I could bounce back the next day. If I were to have that now, I could be out for a week where mm-hmm. you know, really sluggish. So uh, learning how to eat healthy, you know, working with good doctors, dietitians, mm-hmm. you know, that are aware of really the advances that we know in eating healthy, because all of us, when we, you know, when we don't have these gastrointestinal symptoms from eating poorly, we have a lot more energy. Your, your GI tract will, will sap a lot of your energy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, what? I, I found that, you know, I, and it's funny, I can tell on those days that. I haven't, you know, gorged myself on barbecue, which is my weakness, and in Mexican food, yet another weakness. You know, on those days that I'm, you know, mixing a salad, you know, I, I definitely feel better the next day. And and Kevin, the other thing I tell patients too, when you know, when we're discussing, because sometimes they get a little upset here in New York, where we have great pizza, uh, pasta, yeah. right? And they give me that look like you're you're killing me here. And I said, look, we're not. This is not a punishment. We're going to actually make it so it's fun and enjoyable. So you know, just again, where I give them examples, let's say for pasta, I mean, there's things like black bean pasta, chickpea pasta. There's other ones that you can cook and make really good, add in vegetables, mm-hmm. put in a certain type of, you know, like, you know, lighter soup as, as a broth. Um, you know, you, there's ways of making it enjoyable and healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the way to approach it. Okay. Okay, well, you, you're giving me a little bit of hope, so yeah, I, I'll I'll expect the bill in the mail then. So, so let, you know, I, I also saw on your website that you've worked with with Dean Ornish in the past. You know, some of my my uh, audience may not be familiar with with uh, Ornish. Would you talk a little bit about that and about kind of your interactions with that? Because you know. As I said before, we went on air. I've had some experience with that years ago at a hospital, and I found it fascinating. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. First of all, Dr. Ornish, who really is iconoclastic, he's mm-hmm. a Texan. Yeah, he was. Uh, he grew up in Texas, and he talked about how he grew up on you know bacon cheeseburgers and everything <laughs> like that. And he went through a pretty big transformation in his own life. I think in college, and after medical school. He decided, I, he really was influenced by, I, I think, a, uh, 
a Hindu yogi instructor, very interesting, kind of changed his approach to life, you know, because he went through a lot of personal things. And, you know, he talked all about this when I went to do some training out there with him. And he then decided to, after doing some training at Harvard, instead of like following like, like a classic cardiology training, like where, you know, you learn how to do stents and all these other procedures mm -hmm. and medicines, he says, can we maybe reverse people's heart disease through diet and stress management and yoga? And, and of course, you know, he was lambasted by every cardiologist in the country just about, but he did something fairly unique. He actually put together a study at the time, maybe a small study around 50 people who had significant heart disease and were, you know, planning to either have a bypass surgery mm -hmm. or some other procedure. And he put them on his intensive program, I think for about three months where they, they in those cases, they followed a vegetarian low fat diet. They did exercise, like where they walked a few miles a day. And he, a very important component was stress management. Mm -hmm. And in his study, he showed that he not only stabilized, but he, was, he showed with like these um, PET scans and uh, angiograms that he was able to reverse the heart disease in these patients. And even more importantly, their quality of life got better because mm -hmm. I met some of these people at his retreat in California where these people would say, you know, it was a fascinating story. One of the people who was like in his sixties, he would say that when the light would turn, you know, at a crossway, he used to get nervous because if he had to rush, he would start to get chest pain. I mean, that's how short of breath he was. And he wasn't overweight. He was just a very triple type A personality. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a good diet, et cetera. He did Dr. Ornish's program. And this was a guy that was like walking 10 miles a day and doing things that he never did. So, I had read about Dean Ornish's work and then I went out to California for a week to go through his program myself. I was in my early thirties at the time. I was the only doctor there. Uh, everybody else was patients, but it was incredible to see what he was doing. And it really did, it changed the trajectory of my career hmm. since that probably even with the food allergy later on, like to say, you know, things are only impossible if you put a barrier up and say, you can't change things. And uh, so he really opened my eyes up to, not just being conventional, but being looking at different options and being thorough and scientific. Yeah. Well, and, and I saw this, we had one of our, one of my colleagues at, at the hospital where uh, I was first introduced to Dr. Warnish. He was, you know, about two steps from having triple bypass. He was in bad shape. He was very overweight. You know, I mean, had had a number, you know, chest pains for a long time. And so he, he went on, full bore Dr. Ornish's program. And as you said, within three months, he had lost like 45, 50 pounds. You know, you could see it in his face. The, the stress was gone. And, and he, he uh, as far as I know, he never had to, to have the bypass because he kept up with it. And, and so, I mean, just fascinating watching that. And, and kind of a funny story, they, they brought yeah, they brought uh, some of their chefs out and they were cooking for us, as you said. You know, how can you? How yeah, can that was you a big thing with him. He, he definitely felt, he goes, Look, the only way you're going to get people to adhere to a program is if they enjoy it. Because, yeah. I mean, look, when people are suffering, they may do anything. But then once they get better or a little bit better, they're like, I don't need this unless they find that it really suits their way of life. Yeah. Well, you know, here, there we are in Nebraska. Nebraska's beef country, too. 
you know, their, their chef came out and, and I went to this dinner. It was beautiful, wonderfully presented. They come out, they bring us a plate. You know, I'm looking at I'm like, my gosh, that looks like barbecued ribs. So, of course, I'm going to get into it. It was tofu. I mean, <laughs> And, 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 and I'm, not a, I'm not a tofu fan by any means, but if you put enough barbecue sauce on it, it was not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's the whole trick. And I, yeah. Is, really, is, is, is making it, you know, we also, I tell patients this too, because we all have comfort foods, you know, wherever sure. you grew up. And so you, you don't want to take that away from a patient, but there's ways of making it healthy, taste good, and uh, make you feel good. Yeah. Well, Dr. Mitchell, any any final insights before we have to go? Um, I admire so many of my patients that I see and I deal with because they are so proactive in going on the internet, getting a lot of information. Mm -hmm. And I love when I sit down with them and then we can talk on such a high level. And the only, but the only thing I do warn them or try to share with them is this. I said, find a good healthcare provider because hopefully with all of your knowledge and your doctor's knowledge, he will hopefully, or she will share with you their experience. So you don't go down some dangerous pathways. Uh, but medicine is for, is everyday changing. We're getting more interesting and, and important information. Mm -hmm. So don't, you know, think what, you know, the way medicine was even a few years ago, five, 10 years ago is the way it's going to be uh, to improve your health. Yeah. Well, hey, that's a great word to end on. Dr. Dean Mitchell, it's been a pleasure having you on I Don't Care today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. So audience, we've, we've gone through yet another great uh, episode of I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Uh, you know how to find us every Friday morning on MarketScale. If you missed the live version, go to uh, Spotify and iTunes and download the episode. And I'll end today like I always end. If you haven't subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, why haven't you? With that, we'll be talking next week. Take care.